Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Post Loons presented by SodaSoccer.com. Uh, tonight, I'm your host, Jacob Schneider, coming to you live from Allianz Field, and I am joined by my co-host and colleague, Mr. Eli Hoff. Eli, how are you doing tonight? You know, not too bad, Jacob. Not too bad. Uh, it's it's good to be here chatting. I think this is a good game, you know, for everyone to, to talk it out. So I think talking it out is good. But how are you doing? You're you're sitting in Allianz Field right now. Uh, what's the what's the vibe for you tonight? Well, I think I take a look at this past week. You know, I don't think something that people realize is that this club has been training uh, indoors up until this last week. You know, brick building, no air. They're on turf. This has been their first real week of you know a genuine training session that most teams have had at this point. You know, everybody else has been outdoors and on grass, and they haven't. Um, it was refreshing. The weather was nice. And then come to, to tonight at Allianz Field, it's uh, 38 degrees. Uh, it's rainy. It's it's gloomy. It was The atmosphere kind of fit the result, if I'm being honest, because earlier this week we were seeing, you know, highs of 80s. We almost hit 90 one day. And now it's just it's gloom and doom. And it's I think it fits for what happened and how the match ended. But um, the atmosphere was incredible. You can't you couldn't have asked more from the fans at Allianz Field tonight. Um, the TIFO was brilliant. That was presented by the Wonderwall. And I think overall it was just a really great, um, really great fan atmosphere. They sold out, um, you know, despite the weather. And I think that's a representation of, you know, the supporters of this club and, you know, how they'll continue to come out regardless of how these results uh, keep keep unfolding. And I think, you know, it's a great look for the club. Um, it's an unfortunate loss, but I think there's a lot of positives to take away. And, you know, one of those has to be how how great the fans were, how loud they were. Um, despite the circumstances that presented themselves with one, the weather uh, and two, just the in the rain and everything. And uh, I was just, a, just a good evening. Eli. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, that's something that, that, that just, you know, in, in a general thing and to, to be able to start off on a positive note that I feel like Minnesota United can, it can kind of get taken for granted that, you know, all the field is very often very full and you know, you don't, you don't see that everywhere in this league. You really don't. So that's a, it's, you know, a testament to what this club has built that now is this, is this year seven in MLS? That that uh, you know, after all this time, it's still it's still being full. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's it's it's, it's you. Well, Allianz Field debuted in twenty nineteen. Well, uh, sure, they, sure, yeah. TCF Bank mm -hmm. Stadium until for the first two years. Yeah, um, good old TCF Bank, best press box view in the world, right, Eli? Yeah, right when yeah when you get a when it's you know ninety degrees and the sun's pouring right in at eye level and you're sitting there sweating in your khakis. Yeah, nothing beats it. Nothing beats it. <laughs> nothing beats it. Uh, folks, thanks for joining tonight's show once again. I'm your host Jacob Schneider. Joined by my Austin Aston Villa loving uh, colleague Eli Hoff. Um, great day, great day for them. Uh, unfortunate for the Loons, but we'll, we'll we'll break this down. Your final score from Allianz Field: uh, Orlando City two, Minnesota United one. Um, if you are watching the show tonight, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> uh, if you are uh, watching the show tonight and you'd like to uh, comment and interact with us throughout the uh, throughout the next forty five minutes or so, if you are watching on YouTube, you will be able to comment. If you are watching on Facebook you will be able to send us a comment. However, if you are watching on Twitter, unfortunately, you will not be able to send a comment in the stream. However, if you are watching on Twitter and you'd still like to send us a comment or a question or some sort of interaction with us, uh, both of our Twitter handles are listed below and you can at us on Twitter and we will look at them and we will uh, present the comments throughout the show or the questions you might have about the result, about what's coming up. You know, they've got... Uh, uh, away at Sounders and then away for the Open Cup, you know, some interesting uh, storylines coming up. So feel free to uh, chime in and, you know, 
just uh, let us know what you're thinking. And while you are at it, be sure to subscribe, leave a thumbs up, and uh, you know, share the stream. If you are on Facebook, press that share button. If you're on Twitter, retweet, like, you know, give us both a follow, give sodasoccer.com a follow on Twitter, and you know, just uh, continually support the growth of uh, local soccer coverage here in Minnesota. Um, so with uh, without that, with that, you know, let's uh, let's let's dig in here, Eli. Um, our three things, you know, there are three main talking points we came up for tonight's show. My first one is the biggest highlight from the night. You know, the biggest positive takeaway was the introduction of Sang Bin Jun, uh, who was lively. You know, um, he hasn't played a lot of soccer over the past year. He hasn't had a consistent role, hasn't had consistent minutes. Um, tonight was a great cameo for him. Um, I think he kind of played sort of that chaos role at 10. He wasn't necessarily, you know, the most impactful in terms of creativity. But he was an absolute nuisance in that first half, and you could see it with Robin with with uh, with Janssen, of course, uh, on the back line. He pressured Gaese too to release the ball quicker than he would have liked. Um, I think it's a positive takeaway. And I asked, you know, Robin Lud, Hassani Dotson, and Adrian Heath about it post game, and they were all really, really thrilled with what he brought, and they're excited to see where it goes because. Uh, one of the biggest things everybody noticed who was watching was his acceleration off the bat. You talk about players with sprint speed. You talk about players with physicality. Something we don't often talk about with soccer players is acceleration, a 0-60. Not necessarily him making it, you know, 40 yards, but the fact that in five yards, he will beat the person in front of him because he is that fast off the bat. Uh, Eli, what were your thoughts on saying Ben's performance tonight? You know, what would you think of him? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll – I think I'm a little cooler temp-wise on, uh, on on what we saw from him tonight. Um, you know, I, I think overall, you know, we, we saw potential, right? And, and that's always a good thing with him that you know, you're not seeing like, oh, man, is this guy what we thought he was? He, he, he definitely brings potential. Uh, and, and a lot of that came, I think, from the energy. There's the run that I think you tweeted about, a few folks tweeted about, where uh, it was in the first half, I don't know, 30-some minute maybe, where uh, Michael Boxall ran all the way forward, you know, got – probably got fouled, but, you know, got taken down and was trapped up there. And, you know, who's making the run all the way back to the back line to, to dispossess it suddenly young. And so, you know, that's, that's a great effort play. That's a, you know, for his sake, a great way to, to establish yourself in a locker room is to, to go and, you know, put the hustle in and make a play like that. Uh, it's just, it's going to impress folks. Um, I, I do, you know, in, in terms of maybe energy expended running to actual, production you know the the correlation was not very strong there for him um it was it was a whole lot of running for not a whole lot of production now that can that can bring value that can bring energy you know if it's leading to dispossessions things like that but uh some of the some of the off-ball movement just wasn't there for me and and he was he was gassed by about the 40 minute mark and didn't come back out any well more well rested in the second half again that's fine he hasn't played regular soccer he's getting back to it it's just kind of a pacing thing and maybe that was part of the game plan all along but for me when I'm looking at, at at a number 10 and what they can do off the ball, it's about setting themselves up for opportunities, right? With off-ball movement, you know, when, you, when you're the striker, sometimes you're not necessarily looking to receive the ball. You're looking to push the back line to create space for others, right? Uh, when, when you're the 10 and you're operating in that space behind, you, most of the time you're going to be looking to get open. Uh, and, and the thing that, that sort of in, intrigued me about SBJ's positioning is just how he, he seemed to always have a defender between him and the ball. And he'd, he'd be in a pocket of space, but it would not be an easy passing lane. And sure. maybe that maybe that's by design. Right? Maybe he's on to something there, right? Like he's the professional soccer player. I'm sitting here talking about professional soccer players, right? We're not the same. He's got to look <laughs> up, right? So I'm, who am I to doubt him? And, and he, you know, this is a new style. This is a new system. It's all of that. But to me, that just seems like a difficult way to get open. 
And playing in space is going to be so important for him um, because he's he's not going to get the same number of on-ball touches as Emmanuel Reynoso because he's not at Reynoso's level. And I think that's something that is taking some recalibrating for everyone to realize he's not going to come in and just magically be what Reynoso was. And I know we need to talk more in depth about you know replacing Reynoso and how this fits into that kind of dynamic. But for me, the off-ball movement, you know, just the energy is great, but it's about using that energy to be in the right spots. And that wasn't there for me tonight. He had one, he had one great look when he had that really great shot, um, where he'd he'd kind of, you know, done the old, you know, stay with the line and then pump the brakes and generate five, you know, five yards of space for yourself by staying back. That was great. That's exactly what he needs to do. But that was one time I noticed that out of his whole, you know, 55, 60 minute shift. Um, so I'll be I'll be looking for more on that front. In terms of on ball, you know, I, I thought he he looked fine, he looked passable, he wasn't a liability. Um, I was, you know, the I, I was unimpressed with the set piece service. Um, Minnesota, I feel like, is is known for for sending in corners short sometimes to hope for kind of a second deflection. Um, his, so let me let me service, cut you off there real quick. Yeah, yeah, it's, go actually, for it. it's actually something they have been practicing in training is that flick on on the initial uh, header. It's actually it's a it's a genuine tactic they have been practicing yeah. in training. So putting Mickey Tapias or Michael Boxel at the near post and flicking it onto say you know, the middle towards top of the six or the back post in hopes that you'll have a player there. That is genuinely something they have been practicing, and it is a corner kick tactic they are employing at the moment. Whether or not it's viable, whether or not it will be successful, that's to be determined. But I think, you know, a quick storyline there is they had six corners within the opening 30 minutes, Eli. Six within the opening 30, and then they ended with eight. Um, that says a lot about the dictated tempo that was uh, brought forth in the second 45 by Orlando, by Minnesota, I think both teams played a little bit deeper than they would have preferred. Um, but fact of the matter is Orlando equalized right after Minnesota. And then they were like, okay, maybe we can get something out of this because the Loons seemed very stirred. You know, they didn't seem the same group. Um, so, you know, I think dictating that tempo was a big storyline. But uh, we've got a quick question here from uh, Christopher Alfevby. Alfe- Alfev- Excuse me, Christopher, I might have butchered that. Uh, but thank you for uh, commenting. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate it. Uh, he asks, how do you not even luck into a top scorer at this point? In saying that seven years in, Minnesota's only found, hasn't found anybody to beat the guy they had in the second division, a.k.a. Uh, Christian Ramirez, Superman, number 21. Columbus Crew started for the fourth straight game tonight. Um, first and foremost, you know, I, I just want to mention, you know, that's something I said last week, too. I, I'm really happy to see Christian's success with the crew. Glad to have him back in MLS, and he will always be, you know, someone that's uh, – it's forever underrated in Major League Soccer because he's a top scorer and he's uh, very consistent in what he does. But uh, at the time when Minnesota offloaded of Ramirez, they, they got good value for him. By, by trading him, they got a lot of Gam slash Tam. They also got Ozzy Alonso and Eichel Parra. I, I don't think that's something people realize, that, that that trade opened up moves for those. And Eichel Parra was monumental until he got hurt. Ozzy Alonso was... The Loons would not have made the playoffs without either of them. And I think that needs to be taken into context a lot there um, with the departure of Ramirez. So quick shout. It's very unfortunate. They have not uh, managed to land a top scorer. But I think there were a lot of positives from Ender Garcia shown so far early this season. But a reminder that he's still, you know, um, very young, still integrating to the club. But, you know, come, uh, you know, come, come June, July, there needs to start being consistent results from a player like him. And uh, something I alluded to in my column earlier this week on SodaSoccer.com is that if Minnesota United were to bring in another designated player this window um, before it closes, they would need to buy down the contract of uh, one of their DPs. And unfortunately, that won't be Emmanuel Reynoso due to the price of his contract and, uh, well, other things. But uh, then you look at uh, Mender Garcia, who's actually a young DP contract. Buying him down wouldn't make sense 
uh, Lucas Luis Amaria is actually his salary is the same price of Will Trapp, who is a Tampa player. His salary is less than Romain Metner's salary from last year. Um, you know, there's genuinely no reason for him to be on a DP contract based on his salary. So it'll be an easy buy down. And by doing so, they will actually add trade value to a player like that um, if they choose to go that route. Um, because one, no more DP price tag. Two, a very reasonable salary for a striker within the league. And three, sometimes a change of scenery is all a player needs to, to kick it off. Um, so it's something to keep an eye on. But uh, the Loons really do need to start finding a consistent goal scorer. And it's very unfortunate that uh, seven years in, they haven't found their guy. You know, they haven't found their Dennis Buanga from LAFC. They haven't found their um, Daniel Gosnog. You know, they, they, they will. It's just very unfortunate they haven't so far. Um, but we've we've got some more questions then coming at relay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump to uh, keep keep these going if that's all right with you. Uh, Dan O asked, um, I'll let you answer this one, Eli. Dan O asked, why switch to the kind of uh, Dotson slash Ariaga pivot rather than the solid Ariaga uh, trap pivot? Eli, what are your thoughts on that midfield pair? Yeah, well, I, I know this is an area where you and I are going to differ, Jacob. Um, and I, I'll, I'll preface it by saying that I, I was a really big fan of the midfield pairing tonight. Um, and, and Dan, that's a great question. I, I had the exact same question going, and I was tweeting with uh, with our, our buddy John Marthaler from SodaSoccer.com, you know, before the game about how's this going to work. Uh, because, yeah, n- normally it's a very clear dynamic of, you know, Ariaga is the eight who's going to get forward more, Trap is the six who's going to stay back, and that's a very clear midfield pivot, and that works. Uh, Dotson and Ariaga on paper seem to do very similar things, though also Dotson can, you know, literally kind of do whatever. So who are we to, to you know, pin him down with anything? Uh and, and yeah, I, I had questions about because it's the sort of thing that that what I expected and and what it ended up playing out in practice is that it was going to be sort of a kind of alternating, you know, your turn, my turn sort of thing, uh, and that that can work right because it can be a, a change of pace and you know give something different for the defense. It can also go horribly wrong if both players think it's their turn or think it's not their turn, and it's the you know okay, who gets to go on an adventure and who has to have the responsibility of tracking back between the center backs, right? Um, there, there actually, there, there didn't seem to be uh, a, a ton of, of issue spots with that. Now, obviously, Trap came in at a certain point and, and you know, the dynamic changed. Uh, but when it was just the dots and Ariaga pivot, it wasn't bad at all. Uh, what I thought really, really was effective was the way those two controlled the midfield. Um, the, the success that Orlando City had, and, and we'll, we'll talk about what led to the goal specifically, but, you know, that success was purely generated out of final third chaos and a key defensive tactical thing that's been a thing for Minnesota United that was exploited tonight by Orlando City. Sure. Minnesota United won the midfield. And and that's in part because of Dotson and Ariaga. They were such good passers. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I believe Ariaga finished he was above uh he was above 80% on pass completion, which he usually is. He's one of the best passers in the league. Uh and, and Dotson was somewhere around 90% on pass completion, which is insane for a midfield. Uh, they were completing, you know, Minnesota United does a lot of long diagonals and field switches. These were not, you know, the super easy passes that were being made. Um, Dotson brought a lot in terms of expected assists, in terms of getting ball, the ball to guys in the box. You know, being that connection and that connective tissue between the defense and the attack, right? It, it sounds so simple. That's what that, that's what you want for your midfield. But that's what you want from your midfield. And that's what uh, Dotson and Ariaga brought. So, yeah, well, in, in, it, it, you know, I don't, I don't know too much, you know, I, Jacob, you, you can probably, I'm, I'm sure Heath maybe spoke to this this week or tonight about, you know, what his thinking was behind the switch. But frankly, I, I like this more. I almost like the idea of now, you know, Trap coming off the bench is the guy who can come in and control the game. 
uh, because it, it feels like so often his hands are tied when he picks up his first half yellow card, right, as is apparently contractually obligated. And, and then, you know, so I, I don't know. And, and I'm, I'm a Kervinari Agate fan. I think he's, you know, probably like actually yeah. arguably the best player on the team at this point. I really think Kervinari Agate is. Yeah. Um, that you know that's that's my hot take you can talk me down from that that's not the question here i'm gonna talk you down from it real quick so yeah. i'm just gonna say uh please don't put him on free kicks outside the 18 yard box anymore yeah okay uh, that's, free that's kicks from point. 35 yards out that's it that's our guy uh 18 yards out edge of the box no no mm-hmm. none of that either but yeah, uh, i'm gonna yeah, i'm gonna quick jump on to the next question here uh because yeah. we're gonna touch on the midfield more a little bit um yeah. And it comes from Daniel Elias, uh, who it's not really a question more of a comment, but he said the Loons played better overall tonight than any of their road wins in the season. The season is balancing them out. Uh, and I love this take, Daniel, um, because I, I do think Minnesota played really well tonight. I think the first half may have been their best 45 continuous minutes they played this season, yeah. um, despite, you know, not scoring goals. And, you know, I think a storyline this club has had over the past seven years is if they can, if they can score goals, they – they'll be among MLS's elite because they play complete halves. It might not be both, but in one half or the other, they're playing a complete half, and it's been a brilliant showing. Um, I think tonight's first 45 was an example of that, and I think they're really unlucky to get out of here with uh, with zero points because, you know, one of the things we're going to talk about eventually, and I, I'll just prelude to it right now, is, you know, Orlando City only had two shots on target, folks. Two goals, two shots. Last week in Chicago, two goals, two shots. That's it. Two shots on target. And um, – you know that's that's a uh, an accolade to the finishing of uh, the opposition, but it's also very unlucky for Minnesota. So uh, we'll we'll keep going. And if uh, if you are watching right now and you'd like to send in a question, like some of our viewers right now um, that we have these popping up on the screen, head to YouTube or Facebook to send those questions in, and we can put them up on screen here. Uh, if you are watching on Twitter, unfortunately, that's not an option um, with uh, with Stringyard. Uh, these, the service, the service we use. So uh, again, Facebook or YouTube, send us those questions. But if you are on Twitter and you are adamant that you want to see on Twitter, our Twitter handles are beneath our names on the screen here. Just tweet at us and send those questions, and we'll keep this going. Uh, Eli Christopher Mitchell says that I think it's worse that it's worse than here that he thinks scorers come to Minnesota to die. Uh, gosh, that's a, that's a tough one. I think I think you know they've had a, an, an unlucky string of forwards here, but I do think you know. Bringing back Luis Ramaria was a warranted idea. Like it was, it was a good idea. He was very successful for his previous injury with the club, and bringing him back wasn't, you know, necessarily uh, the worst decision made. And I think Mender, it's too early to call Mender Garcia a bust. Um, uh, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll touch on that. We got one last one here from Christopher Alfabi again. Christopher says, uh, "Respect the effort on the pronunciation. I'm not against the trade more than the idea that he's still single season goal, season goal leader. Um, that's on Amaria." Eli, who's your uh, who's your per- who's your perfect striker for Minnesota right now? If you are choosing between Mender Garcia and Luis Amaria, assuming Sangbin is out there with them. Yeah, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a roundabout way of answering this because I I think um, there's there's something broader to be said here about Minnesota United and strikers because we keep talking about this year after year after year, um, and, and it's it's a rhetorical question I'll, I'll pose to everyone who is watching or listening live um, or who is listening to to this later on to just think to yourself for a second. What do you want to see out of a striker for Minnesota United? The obvious answer is goals, and that's you're not allowed to do that. That's a cop out answer. But I mean, in terms of skill set, right? What does an ideal striker for Minnesota United need to bring to the table, right? I don't really know. So genuinely, like if you're if you're listening now, send us in you know answers, and we'll throw them up on screen and talk through them. Um, for for me, one thing that that I've wanted to see for a while is hold up play um, of someone who can 
have their back to to goal with the ball to let other players run and cut off of them because Minnesota is full of guys who can do that. Um, and, and tonight, Bender Garcia, I wrote down multiple times on my little note sheet that I keep during every game. Bender Garcia had a couple times where I was like, man, he's got some holdup play. That seemed new to me. Um, so I, I like that from Henry Garcia. Luis Amaria doesn't bring that as much to me. Now, Luis Amaria is a little bit better with the ball at his feet facing goal. He can create a little bit more there. So I don't know. It depends how much you weight those. Um, but I like that. This team also needs somebody who can make those runs and, and be the guy to get on the other end of crosses. It seems like this year especially, uh, there is a really, really dedicated push to send in low crosses and low through balls to guys um, and just hope that they're going to find their way through somebody's legs and be able to be knocked in the goal. Exhibit A, Bongi's goal, right? Exhibit B being that chance in like the second minute that he missed that was, you know, that same exact sort of thing of having a guy with some – yeah, go for it. That was actually something he touched on post game was that second minute that second minute chance from uh, Bongo Bongo Hlangwane. Uh, excuse me. You know we're just gonna go with Bongi. I'm gonna say Bongi the rest yeah, of the show, yeah. folks. That's a tough one. Um, that second minute chance from Bongi. Um, fact of the matter is, if that goes in, it's an entirely different game, and it's you know it's a it's a missed opportunity. Um, and I think he had a lot of those tonight. I think you know it's a very very big positive to see him find the back of the net for one his confidence and two the team's confidence because he's out there week in and week out and he, you know despite us all loving him, despite us all, you know, seeing his smile and the the whole charisma behind his character, he hasn't been very productive for Minnesota. And I think it's, it's, it's time to start maybe looking at that a little bit more, despite him being, like I said, you know, one of the most uh, likable players on the roster. Um, so tonight's a big, uh, a big, a big plus for him. And, you know, I think hopefully we see those opportunities like we had in the second minute, uh, finally start to go in, find their way to the back of the net. Um, so that's just a quick thought. Um, Eli, we're going to jump back to a couple questions in a little bit, but I'm going to go to your second point here because it's something I feel like you were about to touch on. Um, so Eli's second point from today, folks, was that, that the weak side of Minnesota United is a very weak side, and it's an unfail fullback burden, uh, fullback burden excuse me, that just lost the team, well, a very winnable game. Eli, can you elaborate on your thoughts there and try to explain to us, you know, whether you're talking DJ Taylor, whether you're talking Kemar Lawrence, and, uh, you know, what that kind of looks like? Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Uh, this is this is something I've talked about before. I remember uh, talking about it last, actually, last season on Post Loons, um, right after um, Alan Benitez joined the club after one of his his first games and kind of when you know when we were trying to figure out what he was going to bring to this team. Uh, he brought nothing, he, by the way. Yeah, and, and, and part of and part of that was because of this. So uh, obviously, the the fullback position, right, is is very important to modern soccer. That's all you know. Pep Guardiola built a career off of fullbacks, basically. Um, and, and innovating at that position. So what Adrian Heath does with his, with his fullbacks is he actually puts a lot of strain on them, not in an attacking sense, but in a defensive sense. So what you'll see a lot of times with Minnesota United defensively is that they'll like to compress teams along the sideline. So they'll happily let you pass the ball out onto the wing. And then once you get to the wing, the fullback is going to aggressively push toward that sideline. At least one central midfielder is going to push along that sideline. And whoever the attacking midfielder is, is going to do that. Right, so you're going to get three players in kind of a in basketball, you know, you'd call it a trap, right? Of kind of trapping them along the sideline. Now, what that does is it forces everyone else to kind of migrate towards that side of the field, right? So, you know, if the if the fullback is all the way over, that means the center back on that side is also going to be shifted, which is going to shift the other center back. It's going to shift the other central midfielder. It does all of that. So, what that does is, you know, that's all that's all happening on the strong side of the field. What plays out on the weak side is that you end up with one fullback who usually has about half the field to mark, right? Now, most of the time, that's fine because offense is also kind of compressed near the ball. You think of it's just kind of a tendency. People don't space well. Like, 
think of when you watch the, you know, the eight-year-olds play soccer and it's like a horde of like, you know, 14 children just moving back and forth as one kind of cohesive blob, right? There's just a property of gravity that soccer balls have that people do that. They're bad at spacing. But what you can do if you're an attacker is get behind this one fullback who's marking half the field and through no fault of their own, that fullback is going to struggle to keep track of somebody because they have half the field to mark. That's a really, really difficult thing to do. Uh, it also requires a lot of hit mobility and the ability to turn from, okay, I'm turning this way and watching the ball and feeling this guy off my shoulder to now, oh crap, it's going to the guy behind me. I have to swing this way. It's easy for me because I'm sitting in a swivel chair. It's a lot harder for someone who's like running in cleats and has to you know, be a professional athlete. So there's a lot of strain on the fullback position, right? And on the weak side of Minnesota's defense. So actually, Jacob, if you want to bring up Travis's uh, comment here uh, from YouTube here, it actually, this this exact phenomenon factored into both of Orlando City's goals. Um, and the second one is a really, really prime example. If you go back and watch the replay, um, so it's a situation uh, where the ball gets, you know, through a, a varying series of events, gets sent across the box from the strong side to the weak side. Um, if you pause it right when that ball is sent, when it crosses the halfway line of the pitch, when we're talking, you know, horizontally, when it crosses from this side to this side, uh, it, when you cross there, there are zero Minnesota United players on that half of the field. I mean, zero. There, there could be a striker or an attacker somewhere, but in the frame of the camera, you cannot see anybody on that side of the field. There's only one Orlando City player, right? That's a problem. That's like, that's, that's not how soccer defense is supposed to work. That's because the weak side fullback, I think it, it would have been well, I think it was Kamar. I don't actually know who it was. Um, you know, had, had gotten sucked in because he had to defend somebody in the box. That's a more pressing priority, right? You have to make decisions there. He sucked in. Uh, so now what happens there is Dane St. Clair, the goalkeeper, is actually the closest player to the halfway line. He's the one who has the best chance of making a play there. So he's charging forward. And again, by the time the ball actually reaches, I forget the Orlando City player who actually and, sent and that cool. ball out. That's far. Okay. Yeah. So by the time he gets to the ball, Dane St. Clair is still now Dane St. Clair is the only player on that side of the field, the goalkeeper. It's a problematic setup, right? But he's going aggressive. He's doing what he can. He's not going to get there in time because he may be tall and he may be athletic, but he's only so tall and so athletic. So the ball ricochets off the crossbar. And then from there, it's pure chaos because uh, Tapias hasn't boxed his man out. Nobody knows where anybody is in the box. And it's just, you know, the ball falls in the right spot. Nobody's marked. Nobody's standing in front of the goal. There's no goalkeeper. It's going to be a goal. But this, the key to the setup there is that weak side that it can be so, so lopsided. Again, it's by design. It's to congest that strong side and make it difficult there. But it's a thing that if teams look to exploit it, it's going to lead to chances like this. I don't, I don't know if, if this was an Oscar Pereja game plan thing, if this was just the way the ball fell on the night. But, you know, may, maybe it's just one of those things that this just happens. Maybe, you know, maybe this is just the season evening out, right? Uh, but the game plan backfired against Minnesota United, cost two goals, cost three points, cost the game. And, and it comes down to this weak side defending. I think, you know, I'm going to jump in and chime in real, real quick. Uh, I think a possible solution to that scenario is, you know, when, when you have a wheel trap on the field, when you have a, a proper six, Trap should be taking that man, that Kimar, pushed inside to, to to mark. He shouldn't have to be getting himself halfway across the six to mark somebody. You've got we. I mean, it was basically a four-three-three. We're going to call it a four-three-three towards the end of the game um, because Robin was playing deep enough to be a third midfielder, and um, you've got three minutes to support that. It just it's all it's. It's excusable, but at the same time, it's inexcusable uh, because they did it to you once and you fell for it a second time. And at that point, um, you know you're you're you are you you are your own worst enemy. And that's to Minnesota did they they're their faults. Uh, 
they, they were exploited. So uh, I think, you know, that's just something to look at and have a big takeaway. Um, so yeah, I'm ended that just, you know, they are their own worst enemy tonight and they fell for the same thing twice. And as a result, Orlando's got two goals, um, yeah. two shots, two goals. So folks, uh, before we keep going, we're nearing the halfway point of the show here. We've got a bunch of uh, viewer questions in here. Keep them coming. You know, I would rather look at your questions and speak with you guys here than read the blurbs we wrote down on a Google Doc. Um, you guys are much more interesting than us, uh, um, especially, like I said, Eli is a Villa fan. Um, I didn't know those existed after Jack Grealish left. So, um, you know, I, I'd rather talk to you guys and listen to your questions than read what he wrote down. Uh, so, but um, as we near this halfway point, I just want to give a quick shout out to um, – uh, a Minnesota United staff person who is leaving the club tonight that has helped both Eli and myself uh, more than you can imagine over the past few years. Uh, uh, PR staff person, Gabriela Lozada, uh, a quick shout out to her um, because she is leaving the loose tonight. Tonight was her final game with them. Uh, Gabby has translated. I can't tell you how many Spanish speaking interviews for media members like Eli and myself over the past, you know, uh, five years or so. Uh, how many times she has helped us uh, with, you know, numerous tasks, little things we ask her in the press box, things we ask her at training, um, you know, the, the the recording she sends us, the translations, the, the transcriptions of all interviews, even with English language speaking persons. Um, she's an incredible asset to the club, and she's been in, in, incredible to all of us media members. We're, we're going to miss her so much. Uh, so just a quick shout out to her as we uh, uh, near the halfway point of the show. We're incredibly grateful for the work she's done over the past few years. Uh, and, you know, she... Soda Soccer would not be here without the help of someone like her. So, uh, again, just thank you so much, Gabby. We wish you the best of luck uh, with your next adventure. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll jump back to the to, uh, Minnesota United stuff now. So, Eli, you and I each have one last take to speak about. Um, your, we'll jump to my third thing here. Uh, my, my third takeaway is where does this leave the terms – leave the links in terms of MLS's elite? Is this squad good enough to, to, to continue without any player movement – until the summer transfer window. And I just, I don't, I don't know because the fact of the matter is this off season, a lot of very talented MLS players were brought in. A lot of very talented MLS players returned from season ending injuries in 2022 that we didn't get to witness, you know, an example like Miles Robinson, um, you know, and LAFC are, you know, if you want to be among MLS's elite, you know, they've got players like Dennis Buanga and Carlos Vela who, are just completely dominating the league. And Minnesota doesn't have a player anywhere near those levels. Uh, and with no Emmanuel Reynoso, Minnesota has to play their own way for the next, you know, three, four months until they're able to bring someone in it if they do. And I just don't know if it's viable. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, this was something that we were talking about in the Soda Soccer Slack as the game went on. Um, of, of, you know, and, and part of it was with Songman Young's uh, kind of performance tonight. And, and you know, you, you don't really realize – what you miss in terms of Emmanuel Reynoso until you look at someone trying to fill that role and all the things that they're just struggling with through really no fault of their own because Reynoso was a top five player in this league. Um, and, and, you know, you, you realize how much he did. I think um, it's, you know, what this team is is lacking. Uh, I, there are things that this team is lacking. One of the chief ones in terms of Reynoso is the on-ball quality um, and just the, the, the gravity and, you know, the defensive attention that you can draw, right? SBJ drew zero fouls tonight zero fouls and he was you know running around the field doing so much and did not get fouled once right Reynoso I, I don't know what he I don't have the numbers of what he averaged in terms of fouls per game but gosh it feels like he would have gotten like you know at least one every 10 minutes right uh, of just, do you, you remember know, the 2009 
NFC Championship game between the Minnesota Vikings and I, I, the New Orleans Saints. I'm disappointed that you would bring up this memory, Jacob, but yes, I do in fact remember that. Do you game. remember the images of Brett Favre's ankles post-game with the bruising? I, do you remember those circulating? That's what I would imagine Emmanuel Reynoso's ankles looked like every time he got off the pitch after playing 90. Yep. Yep. He, there's nobody in the league who, in terms of visual, I would assume just just watching get fouled so much. That was yes. his skill set. That's, that's what he did. He drew fouls. He knew how to irk players. He knew how to get underneath their skin. Um, but it's it's unfortunate that, you know, every time, because Minnesota is so used to him, because we as, you know, media members, as uh, you as fans, you're all so used to seeing him and mentioning his name and everything. You know, we're nearing a stage where it feels like, you know, we just have to move on until anything else comes forward. Because, you know, I, I, I can tell you while watching right now, there's there's no new developments. It's the same as before. There's a player who uh, does not want to be here at the moment. Um, there are, you know, things going on in his life. Uh, there are things going on here in Minnesota. And there is, you know, uh, there's just no, no way for him to be here right now. And, you know, that's about all there is. That's, that's public knowledge. That's knowledge to us. There's nothing else to say. You know, he's not here. And uh, I hate that I, I continually bring him back up week, week in and week out, too, because of how brilliant of a player he was, how influential he was to this squad. And now Minnesota just needs to continually move on and try and redefine themselves without him. Because even if he does come back, I, I can't imagine many of these players are going to want to integrate him in right away. You know, they, 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 they feel, you know, like 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 they lost a family member, but that family member maybe used them, and, you know, they don't want them to welcome him back right away. You know, it's it's a really tough situation for Minnesota. And I think, uh, you know, the more we talk about it, the more, you know, coverage we continually give someone like Emmanuel Reynoso, the more more it is where they're never going to move on from him. And, you know, the way things look right now, Eli, it's, it's, it's time to move on, and, you know. And if uh, he ends up coming back, he ends up coming back. because He's a, he's a brilliant player. But at this moment in time, it just, you know, Sangbin isn't going to be the next Emmanuel Reynoso. <laughs> There's not going to be another one. I think, uh, I think, uh, you know, he's a, a one-of-a-kind player. But, you know, he is himself. He's his own player. And he's not just a 10 either. Uh, Adrian Heath says he wants to play him at the 9 more than the 10. He'd rather play him at forward. And whether that's a second forward and a 4-4-2, whether it's like a 4-4-1-1, I'm not sure. But uh, he, he also does play the 9, I think. Minnesota is at a point in this season where it's time to move on and, you know, time to, you know, quote unquote, forget, you know, the individual who doesn't want to be here right now, because the more we talk about it, the, you know, the more we're just going to compare this current team to a team with it. Well, and that's, that's the difficult thing um, because, you know, you, you look at what, what Reynoso brought and, and, you know, the team is at, at, at a level, right? You know, maybe it's first round exit to Dallas, and that's what the team's level is. You know, maybe it's making it to the conference finals. Whatever you want to say that level is, you know, Reynoso gets you there. You lose that, the ceiling on this team drops. It just it does because you're losing a top five player in the league, right? It's a fact of the matter. In any sport, you lose that. That's going to be the case, right? And that, you know, it, it's not just about, you know, it, it's never just that he, he drew fouls, right? It's never that a player just scores goals or just gets saves or things like that. It's the things they do as a result of that, that Reynoso fundamentally changed the look of this team. If you're a team preparing for Minnesota United, right, you have to prepare for Emmanuel Reynoso. And that meant, you know, you know that this is the guy who leads the league in players dribbled past, who leads the league in nutmegs, right? You're, you know, if you're a coach going against Minnesota United, you're telling your players, 
look, you just got to hack at this guy. Don't let him get by you and try not to be embarrassed, right? That, you know, it just, it changes the scouting report and the game plan, right? I don't think there's, a, there's another player on this team who changes it to that same degree, right? Who can do it to the same magnitude as Emmanuel Reynos, who can raise this team's ceiling like that. And, and so, you know, that, that does affect this team's stature in the league, just having a, a player like that, someone who just changes the math for you defensively if you're an opponent, uh, you know, that, that's something, it's something less tangible. It's something more difficult to describe in terms of on-pitch quality, but it's still something that that you need to capture. It's something you need to complicate. Um, you know, it, it's it's about, in, in kind of a, a cliche sense, being the team that imposes your game plan versus having a game plan imposed upon you. You know, Reynoso can single-handedly change that. Um uh, Maybe Song Ming can, you know, once he's settled in and is up to match fitness and is developing a little bit, um, you know, that, that's I don't want to say he he can't after tonight. Like I'm, I'm cooler on on what the what the performance looks like, but the potential could very well be there. We just don't know. Uh, it's just you know, it, it's it's difficult to see. And this is a team that can grind out wins, but that's also we have to consider. You know, MLS is a league that is sometimes stretching itself thin from a talent perspective, and home field advantage is a big deal. And so you know, even if you're a, a mediocre MLS team, you're going to do pretty well picking up points at home and you might be able to snatch the, the occasional away away result. And this team seems to have really great chemistry, right? We've seen the video of the, the you know, the, the wave dancing in the locker room and Ariaga doing the worm. Like this is a team that, and, yeah. and Jacob, you're around it a lot. You know, I'm not around the, the team anymore to really know, but it seems like a team that likes each other. It seems like, uh, you know, Adrian Heath has control of the locker room. That's not the issue here. It just seems like it's, it's sort of a, a, a you know, I, I don't want to say it's a talent question, but, Maybe at a certain point it is a talent question and attack and a question of recruitment because where do yeah. the goals come from? Where does the production come from? Right? You can, you know, maybe we can, you can, you can say, you know, oh, maybe there'll be a goal a night from one of these low balls going to Mender Garcia or Bongi or Fragapine or somebody making the run to knock a ball in, right? Maybe that produces one goal a night, right? Maybe Kervin Ariaga gets you a screamer from distance or DJ Taylor does or Asani Dotson, right? But you know, where where can you consistently count on two goals coming from? I, I don't know. I don't know. And I think that's the problem with this team ceiling. It seems like it's kind of a one goal ceiling right now. I think that's a fair shout. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll continue touching on this right now, but we're 38 minutes in here uh, and we're a little bit over the halfway point. And I just want to give a quick shout out to one of our sponsors for sponsoring tonight's show uh, here uh, at SodaSoccer.com uh, on Post Loons. So thank you to Nate Pence and Pence Homes. Uh, it's time to tell you about our friends over at Pence Homes, owned by a Minnesota United fan and local soccer supporter, Nate Pence. Pence Homes was founded on the idea of providing customer service that exceeds expectations and making home buying and selling process here in, in uh, St. Paul, Minneapolis, as simple and easy as could be. Nate's team specializes in, uh, in the uh, Twin Cities area and can help you navigate this ever-evolving market with the right tools, technology, and expertise. Pence Homes knows how to help you get the most out of your house and get you into the home of your dreams while staying in your budget. Contacting Nate is actually very simple. Just go to PenceHomes.com. That's P-E-N-T-Z Homes.com. Or e email him directly. Uh, uh, email is right listed on the screen right now. Nate at PenceHomes.com. Uh, Pence Homes proudly supports uh, local soccer, Minnesota soccer clubs like Minneapolis City and Minnesota Aurora. We're extremely grateful that they're extending their support here uh, for us at Soda Soccer. That's PNTZHomes.com or email Nate at PenceHomes.com. Uh, once again, thank you to Pence Homes for sponsoring today's show. So Eli, circling back here to some of the things we've talked about, um, you know, we, we've, we've talked about uh, you know, the positives and the negatives from today, and we're still getting questions coming in. 
Uh, reminder, though, folks, if you are watching, send us those questions in. We've got blurbs written down, but we'd rather talk to you. If you're on YouTube, send those questions in. If you're on Facebook on 10,000 Pitches, send those questions in. If you are on Twitter, uh, add us. Our Twitter Twitters are below, and we'll get your questions up in here. Uh, we've got a new one here uh, from uh, from uh, uh, BRAK014, uh, and we'll, I'll put that up on screen. And, ask, and he's asking, how can the Loons utilize the offensive players they have to make uh, you know, the attack better than they have this season. And I'd love to jump in on this one. I think, uh, I think one thing they can do is utilize that two striker formation. We continually bring them up, but there's no Emmanuel Reynoso here. And I don't think you need to force Sang Ben to be Emmanuel Reynoso. I, I don't think you need to force yourself into a system where he was everything. Um, I think, you know, there's a, a very productive way to look at this. And I think it's Robin Lotus, a right mid and a four, four, two with, uh, say, saying Ben and Luis Amari up top, saying Ben and Mender Garcia up top. Um, soccer can be simple. Soccer, soccer can be complicated. Uh, as a Chelsea fan, we play complicated soccer. Um, you know, we, we'll play three games in one week and we'll deploy different formation each game along with a different manager for each game. Uh, you know, that's complicated soccer. Um, we don't need to play complicated soccer. You know, Minnesota needs to find out, you know, what formation best utilizes the group here. Um, and, you know, what players are best in those positions. Uh, I love the 4-4-2 look. I think there's uh, a great way to deploy the attack. I think, you know, the question is, who do you sacrifice, Bongo, Bongi or Franco Fracapane as that left mid? Uh, Bongi did good tonight, but his passing was horrendous, if I'm being honest. His first touch was, you know, we back in, let's, let's, let's circle back to like 2017, U.S. soccer, where the joke was Jossi Zardes, his first touch was horrific, and that's why he shouldn't be the starting striker with the U.S. men's national team. Um, Bongi put on his Jossi Zardes first touch performance tonight, if I'm being honest. Uh, a lot of giveaways, um, very good in tidy areas, but it was a very, very, it was a performance plagued by giveaways, plagued by bad touches, plagued by bad passes, um, you know, and it's something he can continually work on. Uh, it's not a mark against him, you know, it's, it's part of growing into the game, part of going into Major League Soccer. Um, I think a 4-4-2 is the best way to utilize this group at the moment, though, um, because I don't think you need to force someone to play the 10. Robin Lowe's not a 10. I don't know if St. Ben is a 10 yet. I don't think any of us do. But I think the fact of the matter is, is that he's that he's a chaotic, speedy forward. Um, and if you can deploy him off of Luis Maria, I think there's a lot of positives in, in looking at that. And I also think it allows Luis to maybe have a little bit of hold-up play. Um, so there's my take. Uh, Eli, got anything to add? Yeah, yeah, I, I have a few things to add. Um... One, one for me, the formation actually doesn't matter. Um, one of my big takes that I, I repeat on here, you know, time after time, is is I don't actually think attacking formation matters much, because uh, the goal is just to get your best players and attack in their best spots. Um, so I've got a, a couple tangible things and a couple less tangible things I think the Loons could do. The first tangible thing is something I really, really wanted to see tonight that didn't happen, and that's having guys switch positions and attack. Right? If you're going to send, you know, if you're going to do one striker with three attacking midfielders underneath, right? And that was the setup tonight. Um, You've got guys who were on the field tonight who could play different positions, right? Bongi can play both the right and the left, right? Robin Lud can kind of do anything up there. Like he, he's, you know, he's kind he's of... A, he's a finish he, army knife. Yeah, exactly. He, he really is. You know, he, he can play anywhere in there. Um, and, and Sungbin, you know, I, I think he, he seems to have some versatility with him, at least with how far he was pushing out to the sidelines, right? So it's pretty safe to say that all three guys in the attacking midfield could play any of the three spots in the attacking midfield. So why keep them pigeonholed in just one? That makes it easier on the defense, right? Why why let 
the op- the opposing left back prepare for one player. Make them prepare for three players and not know who's going to come at you on a given attacking sequence, especially when it's a counter. Uh, it's it's something simple to just kind of do a little switch up there. Uh, you'll see a lot of good teams do it, you know, with varying degrees of subtlety. Um, that's one tangible thing that can just help because, again, that's a way that you can change the math for a defense without having any manual Reynoso who's going to just do that with their skill level. You can do that from a team setup standpoint. Just be unpredictable. Uh, I, I think also... It's about getting your best players on ball looks um, at what they, you know, when they can play, make, play, make, and create uh, for both themselves and others, right? Again, that's, you know, we keep talking about Reynos. That's what he was so good at doing and, and drawing attention there. I think the best on ball player in the, in the front four for Minnesota United is Robin Lud, right? So maybe, maybe you're not playing with him at the true 10. Maybe you don't want him centrally, but you got to find a way to get him on the ball. The goal tonight starts with Robin Lud on the ball, sending just a, you know, an inch perfect through ball to kick off the sequence that ends with a uh, uh, cross to Bongi and the ball in the back of the net. It starts with Robin Lud creating that. Got to find ways to get him looks and get him on the ball. Maybe yep. that has the false nine. Maybe that's out on the right. Maybe this is a 10, but he needs to get that higher touch share. They mentioned on the broadcast tonight how much of a touch share Reynoso had. So getting the best attackers more touches is good. Um, I, I think, Jacob, you brought up the hold up play. Finding a way to integrate that is really, really important. Mender, Mender Garcia showed some flashes of that tonight. Maybe there's a way to do that. Maybe there's a way to integrate it with Luis Garcia or Luis Amaria. Sorry. You know, I, I don't know where that comes in, but those are kind of the three tangible things I think you need. Mix up, mix up the positions, be unpredictable, create chaos, right? Get the best player on the ball and get some hold up play. And I think that makes the loons attack better. It's all easier said than done for us here. Uh, but I think, you know, those are, those are three, you know, relatively speaking, simple things. You're not reinventing the wheel here. Uh, it's, yeah. it's really, you know, bringing in some of those, those core concepts, I think could lead to goals with the right execution. You know, and we've got a quick uh, question from here or comment here from Christopher Mitchell. A lot of great on the ball tonight, but what about Rob? Do you think he is among the worst and missing great opportunities? Um, I'm going to end this quick and just quick, quick here uh, on your question here, Christopher. Uh, Robin is a victim of his own versatility. And I think it's been really difficult to see him deployed as a six, to see him deployed as an eight, as a 10 and as a right winger this year. Uh, on top of international duty and coming back and being like ridiculously sick, um, I, I think you know it's it's really difficult for a footballer to be deployed in that matter. Um, he's a victim of his own versatility. Um, he's still one of the best players on Minnesota United. He is still one of the most versatile players in the league. But at some point, the Loons are going to have to just say, "This is your spot. We're not moving you. Ball out," and he will. Uh, I think I think I think that's just where you leave it. Um, Victim of his own versatility, folks. It's how good of a player he is. But at the same time, you know, you might be hampering his ability. So uh, we'll, well see where it goes. And, I, you know, I think Robin is forever going to be one of the biggest playmakers on the squad. And I think, uh, you know, you're going to see it next weekend in Seattle. You're going to see it in the uh, if he features in the Open Cup. Robin, is, Robin will do Robin things. But, you know, there's got to be some support around him. And he's got to have some consistency, too. You know, you, you don't see Will Trap deployed – you know, as, you know, a 10, as a six, as an eight, as a right winger too. You know, you see him stay in one's position. Same with Kervin Ariaga. Hassani Dotson is either a six or an eight. Franco Fragapane has really only played left wing this year. Mendo Garcia, Louis Summer, only striker. Uh, Bongi played left wing for the first time this year and it featured at right wing in every other match this year. You know, it's he's a victim of his own versatility. And, and I think actually I'll, I'll weigh in here actually just, uh, Christopher, I was, I was pulling the numbers uh, as Jacob was talking there. Um, and American Soccer Analysis is just a great site for expected goal stuff for MLS. Um, and if you look at Robin Lud's career since coming to MLS, which was 
2018-19, whenever he came in here, uh, he has actually scored 0.29 more goals than would be expected of him. Um, you know, obviously you can't score that, but he, he he converts chances at roughly the rate that you would expect a player to convert them at. Um, so, you know, take that with the, the grain of salt that you want to give expected goals as a metric. Um, but, you know, I think that that is an important thing to uh, to evaluate here with Robin. You know, and uh, another question from Christopher, who's been here on the show. Thank you, Christopher, for joining us. Uh, just as the main problem in the offense, seems to be no plan. Can't say what the goal and attack is. Um, TBD. We'll find out more um, as they slowly go into the season. These are growing pains. They started the season in stupid good fashion. Who would have expected three road wins? Who would have expected after that preseason to go and boss Dallas like they did? Not me. Not you. Let's be honest. Um, they're growing pains. Season is going to even up. It's a long campaign. League's Cup, Open Cup, MLS playoffs. Um, there's, am I missing anything? Friendlies, All-Star game, uh, international breaks. Um, it's, it's growing pain, man. They'll get there. They'll slowly grow. Um, it's early. It's really early still, guys. You know, they're, 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 there's a lot more soccer to come. Um, there's more players to arrive. There's more players to depart. Minnesota will will slowly coast, and they will they will end up where they deserve to be. And I think you know that's in that you know five through eight playoff spot. I don't think they're they're worse than that. They they can be better than that, but Minnesota's all you know they're a victim of their own versatility, just like Robin Lowe. You know they are a team who you know fluctuates. I mean, look at last season, thirteen games unbeaten, and then they go and crash to the end of the season. Nobody would have expected it. Um, yeah, BRAK. Uh, I still can't believe this team uh, beat St. Louis after tonight's performance. St. Louis is a very good squad. Um, you know, I, I I don't know what the final was for their game tonight. Let me pull that up real quick because I've got it here on my phone. Uh, it's there. So as someone based in Missouri, there's been uh, tornadoes around the state today. It was tornado oh. delayed for a while because uh, okay. there's a tornado warning in St. Louis. They're up. I believe last I saw was four zero on since the early second half. Um, pulling it up. Put my phone down because I was listening to you. Um, oh, it's not even showing up. Where? Oh, oh my goodness! What is going on? It is uh five to one St. Louis five City one. over oh, the undefeated FC Cincinnati. Might add, yeah. Um, who are rumor has it set to sell uh Brazilian forward Brenner to uh, Syria side Udinese um for ten plus million. Uh, we'll see if that where that number goes. I'm gonna say ten plus because I've seen varying reports. Um, but uh. My goodness, it was. This has been an impressive showing from them. Um, I did not expect that. I'm going to be honest. I picked Brandon Vasquez for my MLS fantasy team this week, as well as one Cincinnati, or two Cincinnati defenders. I, 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 That's not going to go well for you. I also didn't realize that Tiago Amato was not going to play, and he was in my starting eleven, and I failed to check the lineups. Uh, I took my L tonight. So did Minnesota United. Uh, unfortunate for us both. Let's wrap it up here, Eli. 50 minutes into the show, we're going to close it out. Um, first half, folks, uh, it was it was a good movement from the Loons. They did great. Um, they they had their best showing uh, across 45 minutes so far this season, I believe. Um, zero shots on target in the first half. Oh, good defense. Uh, Dotson was a little slow to grow in the game, but he, he he really grew with Ariaga throughout the half and into the early second half. He was brilliant. You know that the the assist he had on the goal for the for the Loons. Um, Fantastic. Um, second half, Bongi Bongi opens up the scoring and Gulo scores uh uh you know he counters uh 
a 1-1. And then, unfortunately, there is a late winner for Orlando in, you know, uh, unlucky fashion. Um, I think, you know, the biggest storylines from that are, I've repeated a couple times, is Robin Lowe, victim of his own versatility. Sengmin Jun, um, debut from from the get-go. Uh, awesome to see him get a home debut. He was doing autographs with fans post-game, uh, thanking the, the Wonder Wall. Um, you know, and I think um, – I think, you know, looking ahead, Minnesota's got the Seattle Sounders are way incredibly tough opponent. Um, Sounders and Portland are playing right now. I can give you that score. Portland are up 3-1. Did you expect that, Eli? I mean, after Eric Williamson's season-ending injury this past week? You, you, you would have thought the momentum was a, was against him, but, you know, any, anything can happen in Cascadia Cup games. It's, so, well, it's always a little wild in that part of the world. Ready for this hero. So Raul Rui Diaz opened the scoring for the Sounders. 1-0 in the 59th minute. Okay. 1-0 Sounders. 71st minute, Dirona Spria. 76th minute, Nathan Forgotcha. And then 81st minute, uh, Yaroslav Niaz go to 3-1. We're in the 85th minute now. That is three goals in 10 minutes to take the lead in the Cascadia Cup. Sounders are going to want vengeance going in, uh, returning uh, to uh, Lumen Field next weekend. Very tough opponent for Minnesota United. But then a very quick turnaround. Um, U.S. Open Cup next week. Eli, give me a quick, quick preview. How do you think uh, Minnesota is going to attack the Open Cup this year? And then we will wrap it up after that. Yeah, well, I think this is a team that, that seems uh, slightly depth-challenged. Um, so I, I, I think this is this is not a situation where um, where you can, you can look to expend too many first-team players on Open Cup games, um, especially early on in the competition here. You know, uh, th- That said, it could also be a chance to, you know, Get some first team players some minutes and maybe some confidence if it goes well. Uh, you always run the risk as a coach that if it doesn't go well, what does that do? The whole confidence thing that you know, I, I, Adrian he's paid the big bucks to make those decisions. Um, so I, I would expect to see some first team players. I think it's a good opportunity to get um, Simon Young some more minutes in there, uh, get him some some match looks, some on ball reps, some game reps, some competitive reps. Those are all good things to get. Um, you know, keep keep mixing it up with with the back line. Uh, this is you know a team that's prone to losing a center back at some point in the season. Uh, it seems pretty likely that, you know, whether that's Brent Coleman, uh, whatever you want the solution to be along the back line, there's probably going to have to be somebody who plugs in. Marquez. So, sure. Yeah. So that, that's a, you know, the open cups, a great opportunity to, to keep some, some match fresh legs through there. Um, so I, w- I would expect, you know, this team's goals seem to be in the MLS playoffs. The expectation seems to be that the loons will be part of that, given that most teams in the league are. Um, so, you know, with, with that in mind, I think you have to consider what's best in the big picture, and this Open Cup game seems like a good way to to keep guys fresh and keep guys developing for kind of the, the whole season that's that lies ahead. Well, you heard it there, folks. Um, we are, you know, a little over a week away from Minnesota United's first uh, Lamar Hunt, 2023 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup game. Uh, Detroit City FC, it'll be a fun one. Um, if you are headed there on an away day, best of luck to you. If you're headed on an away day to the Sounders uh, next weekend, you know, have fun. Um, you know, we, we will not be there, unfortunately. Um, you know, I, I'd like to go because of the fact that they have a Starbucks barista in the press box. Uh, that's pretty cool. Shout out to Seattle for that one. Uh, you know, uh, when I was in St. Louis a few weeks ago, we had a soft serve ice cream machine in the press box. Uh, elite. Uh, it, make, it made for great coffee creamer that night, too, by the way. Uh, you know, a little, little life hack. Uh, they, the, uh, the fellow media members, they taught me that one. But, um, folks, we're going to wrap it up here. We are 55 minutes into the broadcast. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, so much of your interaction, so many questions. Uh, we appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Pence Homes for sponsoring tonight's show. And I'm going to repeat it one more time. We said it at the halfway point. 
Um, a Minnesota United staff person is departing the club tonight. Someone so influential to the success uh, of media members like Eli and myself, uh, Gabriela Lozada. Thank you so much, Gabby. We appreciate the heck out of you. Uh, we wish you the best of luck with your next venture. And, uh, you know, uh, Minnesota United community loves you. Um, so on that, folks, we're going to we're going to we're going to head out. I'm Jacob Schneider, uh, joined by Eli Hoff. Uh, thank you so much for tuning into tonight's post loons on SodaSoccer.com. If you like the content we are producing, if you like these shows, su support us on Patreon. Subscribe. You can, you can subscribe for as little as three dollars per month. Um, you know, by doing that, we are able to do shows like these. We are able to do more road trips like I did when I was in St. Louis City two weeks, uh, St. Louis uh Two weeks ago, you know, I might be doing an upcoming road trip. We might have a little news announcement in the coming weeks about that. Um, we're able to do those things because of you, because of our viewers. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Um, have a good night, everybody. Your final score from Allianz Field is Orlando City 2, Minnesota United 1.